going to come back to the book of Job this evening, perhaps for one final look at Job. In our little series on Job, remember, uh, he had his friends come to comfort him, and it was very good of them to come and to be in his presence, uh, to actually sit down with him in the field, and just to sit in silence with him, and they showed a great deal of sympathy. But also they, they blamed Job uh, for things that were not Job's uh, responsibility. They come with the philosophy that uh, if they're suffering, there must be sin. And the flip side of that is, if you're prosperous, then you must be righteous. And that's um, something that the Lord helps us with in this book. We also, from Job 42, notice how Job admits that, that he went too far in lashing out against God, and he humbly repents in sackcloth and ashes and teaches us a lot about our personal relationship uh, with the Lord. We noticed um, the response of Job's wife last week. And how that in itself must have been a challenge for Job uh, to hear and um, to consider as he is trying himself to work through his suffering. You can't look at the book of Job without thinking about Satan. In the first two chapters, Satan is mentioned about 14 times. And so I'd like for us to go in that direction uh, this evening, thinking about Satan, and especially how Satan is presented to us in the book of Job. And I welcome your uh, comments as always. We have a very good Wednesday uh, assembly here, and so it's a a blessing uh, for me to hear your comments, and I'll do my best to... Um, share those with others as well. Let me begin with this question for you. Do you believe that Satan is real? Do you believe that Satan is real? There was a survey done not long ago, in fact. You've probably heard of the George Barna Survey um, Institution. They do a lot of religious surveys. So the question was asked to Americans who profess to be Christians um, about their belief in God and Satan. Those professing to be, of those professing to be Christians, 78% said they believed that God is powerful, all-powerful, and all-knowing that He rules over uh, the affairs of the earth today. But 60% of those same uh, that professed to be Christians said they did not believe in Satan as a real person, that he was only a symbol of evil. Only a symbol of evil. And so how do you respond to that? Uh, Is he a real person? How do we establish that Satan is a a real person? What do you think? How would you get started on Establishing that Satan is a real person and not some 
part of our imagination that we have created in order to help uh, soothe our conscience, symbol of evil, or uh, how, how would you approach this? Well, think of it this way. And it's kind of a good principle in reading the Bible. The principle is studied like this. If the, if the normal sense makes good sense, then seek no other sense, lest it become nonsense. Okay. That's a good principle in reading the Bible and reading anything, really. I'm going to repeat it. If the normal sense makes good sense, then seek no other sense, lest it become nonsense. Okay. In other words, take words as regular meanings and do not attach a figurative or symbolic meaning to them unless there's compelling reasons uh, to do so. Okay. Um, my wife says, uh, go by the store and get a gallon of milk. I'm not going to walk into that store and say, I wonder what she meant by a gallon. I wonder what the real meaning of that is. Okay. There's no compelling reason to, um, to suggest that that means anything other than a, than a gallon. But on the other hand, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, what did he say? Behold the Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now, there are compelling reasons to look at lamb there as something more symbolic. Jesus did not appear as a lamb, literally, but rather he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament preview of the Passover feast, the Passover lamb that was slain the one that would not have spot or blemish, slain, and the blood of that put on the doorpost, and they commemorated that every year. But Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that, in that he was without sin, and no guile found in his mouth, and he was the perfect sacrifice that the Lord offered. Okay. And so Satan is presented to us in Scripture, and I see no compelling reason other than to just uh, receive him as a real being, a real, a real person. He speaks to Jesus. Okay, he is mentioned often as the source of temptation throughout Scripture. He speaks there in the garden uh, to Adam and to Eve, and um, and then he's here in the book of Job. Okay, and so let's think about that now. How is um, the devil referred to here in Job? The devil has a bunch of names. Okay, how is he referred to here in Job? Like in Job chapter 1, how is he referred to? He's referred to as Satan. Can you think of other names that are given to Satan throughout Scripture? Hmm? The serpent, Genesis 3 and verse 1. Serpent. Okay. How else is... Satan referred to in Scripture. Is the prince of darkness Okay. Uh, prince of this world. Prince of darkness. I think... Um, prince of this world. Prince of this world. 
I believe that's um, more close. How else is Jesus referred? Oh, Jesus! How else is Satan referred to in Scripture? The devil. That's right. The devil. Uh, oftentimes, I believe um, Matthew four, verse one, is as um, the devil approaches Jesus in the wilderness, he's referred to simply as uh, the devil. And then, if you notice. Um, Yes. So, notice here in Matthew 4, verse 1, he is um, led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And then in verse 3, he is referred to as the tempter. The tempter. And then Keith is referring to John 8 and 44. What did you say about that, Keith? Alright, so... Satan is called, John 8, 44, the murderer from the beginning. Why is he called the murderer from the beginning? Do what? Okay. Yeah. Satan is a source of temptation to bring sin into the world and then uh, death through sin, Romans 5 and verse 12. So before... Sin came to the world. Death was not here. In a double whammy, you might say, Satan brought both physical death and spiritual death, separation from God. So he's also referred to how Keith there in John eight forty four. Okay, he's the father of lies, father of liars, father of lies. Okay, very good. Any other? Do what? Beelzebub in Matthew twelve and twenty four. Okay. Lucifer, son of the morning. Where do you get that? That's Isaiah fourteen, verse twelve. Okay. So Isaiah fourteen, verse twelve. Brother Larry. Little. Did you know Matt referred you referred to you as Colonel Sanders a minute ago? <laughs> Who is Matt? Yeah. There, he's back there going like this. So, what do you think about Lucifer from Isaiah fourteen and twelve? Is your name Larry? Is your name Larry? I didn't hear you say Larry. I didn't hear you say what do you think? I'm just I'm just kidding me. But I did say Larry. I did say Larry. But that's okay. It's okay. So were you about to say something like Colonel Larry? So are you going to, what do you think about Lucifer and Isaiah 14, 12? 
The reason I asked, uh, sister, is there's some dispute on that. Because sometimes people do refer to that as Satan, but most uh, conservative um, readers just simply look at that as the king of Babylon. So, yeah. Yeah, here in my, in this, this is the American Standard Version of 1901. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O, it says, O day star here, day star, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, thou didst lay low uh, the nations. Okay. So, part of God's prophecy was indeed to warn his people about Babylonian captivity, but also he wanted them to know that the nation of Babylon itself, being evil, would face judgment uh, eventually. And they did. They did. And so the king of Babylon himself, even though he's roaring with pride as he comes into Jerusalem and takes God's people away, eventually he himself would meet the punishment of God. So. Revelation 12. All right. Some names of Satan from Revelation 12. Larry, share, share, some, share some of those with us. He's referred to as uh, the great dragon. Okay, referred to as the great dragon. Revelation 12, what verse is that? Uh, verse 9. Verse 9, okay. Uh, verse 10, he's the accuser of our brethren. Okay, verse 10, he's the accuser of the brethren, our brethren. Yeah, also 12.9 says he's, yeah, he's Satan, he is devil, he's the old serpent, and he's the deceiver of the whole world. Okay, so just a little sidetrack there to see the different ways in which the scripture refers to Satan. This is not all of them, but several different ways, several different ways, and each has its own uh, peculiar meaning as to the kind of person kind of work that Satan does. Now going back to Job with me here for just a minute. Go back to Job chapter 1. And I want to see as we look at Satan here how does this match what we know about Satan from other scriptures. How does this match? For instance, notice here Job 1 beginning in verse 6. Now it came to pass on the day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, that Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Now that statement there in verse 7, does that match what we know about Satan from other places? How does verse 7 match? Okay. Uh, Christy's bringing up 1 Peter 5 8, and that's almost a perfect match to what is said here about Satan from Job 1, verse 7. From going to and fro throughout the earth, up and down in it, and it is implied there, most definitely, that he's going about to do his work of deceiving, his work of, um, of tempting. 
And as Peter says, be sober, 1 Peter 5 verse 8, be, um, be sober, be diligent. And here's another name for Satan. What is that? Adversary. Your adversary of the devil walks about as a roaring lion, uh, seeking whom he may devour. Now, why is it here in Job 1 that God asks Satan where he has been? Especially since God knows everything. Why is he asking Satan, where have you been? From whence comest thou? Mark says this sort of says to him that Satan is not invited here among the other sons of God. I'm I'm taking the sons of God here as angels. What do you think? Okay. Sometimes the phrase sons of God refers to different, sometimes in the Old Testament it refers to men following God. Men or women following God. Oftentimes though it refers to, to angels. Right? Hold your place there and go over to Job chapter, um, I believe it's 38. Yeah. You remember God has given some pretty um, interesting questions to Job. Trying to create in Job a big, bigger picture of the power of God. Verse uh, 7, in other words, he's saying to Job, Were you here when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job 38, verse 4. And then he continues on that, verse 7. He says, When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So in the beginning as God created the earth, evidently the angels had already been created. And the sons of God shouted for joy as God did His, his creative work. Okay. So, in Job 1, Satan comes among the sons of God, among the angels. And Mark's saying, this question to God, from God to Satan is saying, you're not really invited here. Okay. What do you think about this question? What do you think about it? Why does God ask him this question? If God knows what Satan is doing, why did he ask him this question? Hmm. The question we're referring to is, didn't God ask, am I imagining this? Whence comest thou? The Lord said to Satan, verse 7. In other words, where have you been? Where are you, where are you coming from? Okay. You know, we cannot imagine that God didn't know the answer to this. So why do you think he's asking this question? Do what? Expressing anger. Well, I'll just tell you why. I don't know if there's right or wrong on this, but I, I think it's, it's for us. It, it's it's uh, the knowledge that this would be 
uh, read and contemplated throughout time. Man would refer back to this. I think this is a part of God's way of showing us Satan. He wants us to know that there is danger out there and that Satan is the captain of that danger. And uh, he's, he's gone to and, th- to and fro throughout the earth. He's doing his work every day, 24 hours a day, as a roaring lion. Okay. So it seems to me he is asking that question for our benefit so that we would know that he is lurking about. All right. Now, do you think that this is a regular occurrence that Satan comes among God in the presence of God? Do you think this is a regular occurrence where um, there is a deal made with God and Satan, and they begin uh, Satan begins to pinpoint one particular individual? Or do you think this was just a one-time occurrence with Job and um, it was for our benefit and then um, we learn from this and then Satan just tries to ensnare everybody he can. What do you think? One time. Think it's one time? Okay. Eleven. If it wasn't one time, it would be just a constant game. Okay. Okay. Can you think of a, of a time in the New Testament where Jesus said Satan had pinpointed someone in particular? Okay, what did he say to Peter? Yeah. Let's look at that right quick. Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. The kids used to sing a song, didn't they? One, two, three, the devil's after me. Luke 22, 31. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold Satan, ask to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have made supplication for thee that thy faith fail not. And do thou when once thou hast turned again and established establish your brethren. Okay. Now is this something just particular to Peter? Or is Satan after everyone? Everyone. Yeah. He's after everyone. Okay. And he's after Peter. And I would say the devil has particular joy in going after those who are closest to the Lord. What do you think about that? I mean, do you think the devil thinks about who he's going after? And do you think he, he thinks about it in the sense of how can I do the greatest damage? Satan takes advantage of certain situations when we're at our weakest to try to take advantage of us. And it might be also that he comes after with great vengeance those who are maybe doing the most good or have the potential to do most good 
for the Lord. But he wants everybody. So it's probably both with Satan. He aims at certain ones so he can do the greatest damage. But then uh, he just desires to take everybody uh, with him. You go after the quarterback. Because if you can get the quarterback down with the ball, then uh, you stop the entire play. That's right. He did the same with Jesus when he went after him. That's a good point, Tammy. He'd come after Jesus uh, with a great deal of vengeance. And that was, that was a meeting. That was a huge meeting in the wilderness. And, and Satan knew that if Jesus kept up, kept his work, that he was going to be defeated. So if he could get Jesus to just compromise a little, just a little, then he would be able to stop the entire plan of salvation. Some of the same things that Satan said to Jesus in the wilderness are repeated to Jesus while he's hanging on the cross. You know, Satan would say to Jesus, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be made of bread. Well, well while Jesus was hanging on the cross... They would say to him, if you're the son of God, come down from that cross. You know, you saved others. You know, why don't you save yourself? And so um, they're tempting him at his power, but he would not use his power except for the uh, glory of God. That's a good point. He came to Jesus to do the greatest damage. Job chapter 1 tells us something about Satan. There is, there is some elements of Satan, Satan in Job 1 and 2 that match what the Bible says about Satan. Is there anything that is revealed about Satan in, that is peculiar to Job? Is there anything that, especially from the first couple of chapters of Job, is there anything here that, is re, that reveals something about Satan that maybe the rest of the scriptures don't reveal or don't go quite as deep into revealing? He's not supposed to take a life. He's not supposed to take a life. He can do anything to take that life. Okay. That's, a, that's an interesting suggestion that Mike makes there that, that Satan's allowed to afflict people except don't take their life. Don't take their life. Certainly, there's much revealed about Satan, but there's also certain things that are not revealed. And so it's, it's in some sense, it's a mystery as to exactly how he works upon us. He's limited, is what I say. He's not everywhere at once. He's got great power, but he's not everywhere at the same time like God is. He's going here and there. Okay, saying that it's definitely taught here in Job that Satan is limited. He has to ask permission to be able to go and to afflict Job. And he comes to uh, Jesus, or whether Jesus says to Peter, Satan has asked uh, to have you, that he may sift you as weak, but I think you'll, you'll be strong, Peter. Okay. So he's definitely limited. And that's a great, great thought in itself. 
The Lord presented the, the person of Job to Satan. You've been doing your work. Have you considered uh, Job? And what did Satan say about that at first? Yeah. Of course he serves you, Lord. You've put a hedge around him. You've blessed his, his hand. And you take that away and he will curse you to your face. Here's what I think. I think the curtain is pulled back a little bit on Satan here in chapter 1 and 2 to show us just how cruel Satan is. Okay. And certainly, him wanting us to be lost is cruel, but specifically cruel. Okay. Notice here in, in Job, especially chapter 2, Again, Satan answers in Job 2, verse 2, from going to and fro in the earth, chapter 2, verse 2, and from walking up and down in it. And then again, God says, have you considered my servant Job? He still holds fast his integrity and so forth. And in verse 4, Satan answered, skin for skin, yea, all that a man has will he give for his life. But put forth your hand now, and touch his bone in his flesh, and he will renounce you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. And then Satan went forth, Satan went forth, and he smote Job with sore bulls from the sole of his foot unto the crown of his head. And he took a pot's herd to scrape himself therewith, and he sat among the ashes." Doesn't that bring out once again how cruel Satan is? Well, I heard someone say it like this one time. If you want to know what Satan wants to do to you, look at Job. Think about before chapter 2, what has happened to Job? Lost what? Lost his servants. Lost his possessions. Lost his cattle lost his children. Okay. You ever heard of stepping on a man while he's down? Does Satan care? Does Satan care at all the, the turmoil that Job is feeling at this time? Does he care one little bit about Job? No, he, he wants to pounce on him even more. Satan will go as far as he needs to go to cause a man to lose his soul. Yeah. He will go as far as he's allowed to go to cause a man to give up his faith. That includes what God allows him to do and it includes what we will allow him to do. Yeah. It includes what God will allow him to do and it includes what we will allow him to do because he is limited and we do have a say how much control Satan has in our lives. Let's go. The Lord also provides a way of escape always. Okay. That does, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that verse, uh, Larry, from 1 Corinthians uh, 10 and 13. That's important 
when we ask the question, do we have a chance against Satan? Do we have a chance against Satan? And so, what does that verse teach us? Larry's referring to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. If we, we by faith will look close enough, God always provides a way of escape. And uh, there's no temptation that has come upon man uh, that is too much. Too much. God will provide a way of escape. We resist him, he'll flee from us. That's right. Might refer to James 4, verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from us. We have a chance in this battle. In fact, we have a very good chance in this battle. Let's quickly review how it is, what does Satan do to try to get us? Okay, just just think openly for just a couple of minutes. Just kind of give a summary. Let's try to give a summary of, of what it is that Satan tries to do to get us. Okay. One one big thing he uses is these three avenues. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. First John uh, 2, 15 to 17. Okay. What are some other ways that Satan uses to try to, to, try to uh, seduce us? Deception. Okay. Deception. The deceiver of the world. Deceiver of the world. Uh, I think it's in Timothy. 1 Timothy 3 and, and 7 where it talks about the snares of the devil. 2 Timothy 2.26. The, the snares of the devil. He's, lay, he's always laying a trap. Always laying a trap. The two and the fro are always there. The two and the fro. He's always there. He never lets up. He never lets up. He's always going to and fro. That's another way that he seduces uh, people. What else would you say about it? How does, what, what is the work of Satan? We're pretty much sure that since miracles are gone, then Satan cannot influence us in a miraculous way. He can't overpower us by some kind of uh, supernatural um, force. Right? But he has his ways. What are those ways against us today? Okay. He puts lies all around us everywhere. He is the father of liars. We should not be surprised. In fact, we should suspect that as the world talks to us, that much of that is not going to be true. We just have to realize Satan is all about lying. Yeah, Yeah, he tries to flip... Uh, evil to look good and good to look evil. Isaiah 5 verse 20. Woe to him who calls good evil, who puts uh, light for darkness and darkness for light, who puts uh, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's one of his primary objectives is to deceive by presenting that which is evil as good. Okay, Just like Planned Parenthood. Okay, listen to those words. Planned. There's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with planning a family. Okay. Parenthood. Okay. But there's nothing more evil under the sun than Planned Parenthood. Okay. It's just one of Satan's tools that he uses 
uh, against us. Sugar-coating words like that, like uh, alcoholism, oh, that's a sickness. Okay, sugar-coating words like alcohol being sickness, okay. All right. So, remember what Jesus said in regard to the parable of the sower? He said, um, when a man receives the seed of the gospel, the word of God, into his heart, the first thing that happens is the devil tries to come and take that word out of your heart. Uh, the devil works very hard to keep the word of God away from us. Anything that keeps the word of God away from us is a work of Satan. So he is stealing the word of God from us. He is blinding our minds. Second Corinthians 4 verse 4 the God of this world, okay, there's another name for Satan. The God of this world blinds the minds. He's blinding minds. He's pretending. Okay, he, 2 Corinthians 11, 14 says he fashions himself as an angel, okay, presenting himself as something good that is actually something uh, bad. He's laying traps for us. Okay. I want to mention something that Jesus mentioned. I, I think we can associate John 10 with the work of the devil. Remember Jesus talking about he be, he's the good shepherd and uh, we are his sheep and we follow him. Okay. The shepherd has two big concerns when it comes to his sheep. Two big dangers. First, a thief. A thief. If you have your, your sheep out in a little sheepfold especially out in the field, well, there are thieves around who, who might want to just come and, and snatch some of your uh, sheep from you. Remember Jesus says in John 10 and verse 10, the thief cometh not but to what? But to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Okay. But the second danger against sheep is what? The wolf. The wolf. And Jesus talks there in John chapter 10, 10 to 14, about a hireling. You know, one who is a true shepherd will stick with the sheep no matter who comes and no matter what comes. But a hireling is someone who, if danger comes, he's going to just leave the sheep. They don't belong to him anyway. He doesn't care for the sheep. He's just going to leave. Let's think about the wolf in association with, with Satan. The wolf is not out to earn his lunch. The wolf is looking to prowl and pounce on animals that are young, that are weak, and that are wounded. That's Satan. Satan goes after the young, the weak, and the wounded. A wolf's not going to do very well against uh, some real mountain lions. We have a lot of wolves in our society. These people who are tearing down cities, you know, I wish somebody would look at them and say, well, why does that make you feel so big? You're just going in and you're attacking a wall. You're attacking glass. You know? You're going against a place that has no defense. Okay? Why does that make you feel so big? 
people that take guns and go into a, an employment place or a, a business where they used to work or go into a church and just start shooting up people, how is it that that makes them feel, you know, big? Okay. There's no defense there. There's, 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 they're like a wolf. A wolf doesn't go to earn his lunch. A wolf preys upon the weak and the unsuspecting and the young and the wounded. And I want you to look and think about that in regard to Job. After Job chapter 1, Job is wounded. I mean, he's distraught. Now, he hasn't lost his faith. We know what he says there at the end of Job 1. That the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. What? Blessed be the name of the Lord. But still, Satan's not finished with Job. Because Satan now has Job where he wants him. He is wounded. He comes back. He says, sure, Job's going to remain faithful, but if you start touching him on his body, flip him, he's going to give, he's going to give up his faith. Satan goes after the unsuspecting, the young and the weak. I'll tell you what, he's on the move today. My daughter Anna sent me this. Hallmark movie to feature lesbian wedding. This is reported by NBC News. On August 15th, as part of a celebration of some wedding movies, one of the movies called, the movie is called Wedding Every Weekend. And it'll be the first time the network has featured a same-sex couple tying the knot. And then here are the comments. You know, people make comments at the end of the article. Here's, here's a comment. Thank you, Hallmark Channel USA. It's time for all the ignorant people who judge you for being of the present time to align, represent, and see us in a loving way and make us part of your movie lineups to tell stories where we are families just like everyone else with the same struggles trying to keep our homes and loved ones safe. Next comment says, Absolutely love the Hallmark. The Hallmark is becoming more diverse and inclusive. Good riddance to those who choose to stop watching the channel because of this. Satan is preying upon those who are unsuspecting and trying to make something evil sound good. Thank you so much for looking at Satan from the perspective of the book of Job uh, this evening. We could have said a lot more just about Satan. We didn't get into the part of where he come from. But he certainly is our adversary. And certainly he was after Job. Satan has a characteristic that God doesn't have. That means God does not have that. That's all Satan has. That's one of the primary, what Ken is saying is one of the primary thoughts on my mind tonight is just how mean Satan is. God is absolutely loving and we're 
accustomed to, to wanting to learn more about God so we can become more like Him. But Satan is absolutely cruel. He doesn't care one whit how much we are tormented. He wants the human race to be destroyed. All right. We'll take just a minute or two break. Appreciate you being in class uh, this evening.